Hello, Glamour Ghouls. This is Trinity Radio, a podcast where we deep dive into dark music and the culture that surrounds it. I'm your host, DJ Tesherine, and today's episode is The Sound of Fear. We're going to break down the science behind what makes scary music so scary. And joining me today is a special guest, Aaron Graham. Aaron is a PhD music composition candidate and self-proclaimed goth. They're here to break down the musical theories behind familiar horror classics. You're listening to Trinity Radio. Music has a remarkable ability to trigger our emotions. Think of the excitement you might feel at a loud concert, or how dapper you might feel when listening to jazz, or that ball in your throat that you get during your kid's graduation. And there's really no question that the music for a comedy movie is nothing like the music used in a horror movie. So music has led us all to feel something at some point in our lives. And another thing we know is that music is universal. Tunes and rhythm exist in pretty much every culture. Whether it's heard through your ears, hummed in the throat, or vibrated through the body, most humans are exused to music at some point in their lives. These facts suggest that music has an evolutionary purpose. And it's even theorized that music could have been a language before words, or developed as an auditory way to convey what we previously might have expressed through just gestures. The emotions we feel in music are rooted in both psychological responses and physiological responses that music elicits. Starting with the psychological response, aka the mind's response. So when we break down the mind's response, we're mainly looking into the brain. There are two key regions of the brain associated with music and emotions, and these are the nucleus accumbens and the limbic system. The nucleus accumbens plays a part in the brain's reward system. It basically helps us process our aversions, the things that make us happy, and our motivations. The nucleus accumbens is also partly responsible for the release of dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter associated with rewards and feeling good. So when it comes to sounds, some things that might trigger dopamine are bells ringing in a game show, receiving applause, the sound of a cash register, or listening to music. Then the other part of the brain associated with music and emotion is the limbic system. The limbic system is actually a set of multiple brain structures that processes things we interact with and the response that result from these interactions. So basically, we have an interaction, something happens, and the response might be a triggered emotion, a follow-up behavior, or a memory. One particular part of the limbic system is the amygdala. The amygdala is a small part of the brain, yet it has a really big job. Your amygdala processes your emotion as it relates to your senses. So when you hear music, the amygdala may process the associated feelings like excitement or nostalgia. But certain sounds can also provoke fear and anxiety. For example, the sound of a loud crash or a jump scare might make your palms sweaty or your heart rate faster. Then there are also other parts of the brain that get you processing things like a music's timing, rhythm, it might get you coordinating your dance movements or memorizing lyrics, but that's a whole other thing we're not going to get into today. So that's the brain, which is perceiving messages about the music we're hearing. Then there's the physiological response to music, aka the body's response. Research has shown that different musical devices, such as tempo and pitch, can result in different vital signs in the body. For example, faster music, up-tempo, and tonal music can lead to faster heart rates and higher blood pressure. Some research indicates that listening to music at 60 beats per minute can cause the brain to synchronize with the beat, causing alpha brain waves. 
Alpha brain waves are those present when we're in a more relaxed, conscious state. Musical therapy can also help with emotional regulation, aka feeling your feelings. So when you find a song that matches your current emotional state, say you're feeling blue and you go through Depeche Mode and you're like, let's play a broken frame or something sad, and you're able to really deeply feel your feelings by enhancing the emotional state you're in with some extra sensory perception. This allows you to feel the feelings deeply and release them. Melodies can also evoke autobiographical memory which means that when you hear a song, it may remind you of a certain place and time in your life. There could also be a song that has a positive and delightful message when you hear it, yet the song reminds you of a bad breakup, so maybe it makes you angry instead. And some sounds can make you feel more than one emotion at a time. And the topic of horror, one of my favorite examples of this is the Beetlejuice theme song, which I played as the opening song to this podcast. The Beetlejuice theme starts with these sprightly and whimsical bells. Then it descends into a lower register march that kind of ushers the listener from a world of safety into something more grim all in one song. So in short, there's evidence that when you listen to music, there's a lot going on in your brain and your body, unless you're a zombie. Speaking of zombies, our first featured song is from the original soundtrack, The Runner. Released by Shutter Films in 2022, The Runner is a film written and directed by Jay Matthews and Gus Miller of the minimal darkwave group Boy Harsher. The Runner plays out a simple 80s tinge narrative of a mysterious homicidal woman on the run from this never fully known danger. In the film, the woman doesn't speak. Her violent and primal actions go unchecked, and she merely communicates with her eyes, gestures, and facial expressions. This narrative is accompanied by a generous dose of suspense, gore, and a dark abyss of pounding synths and haunting vocals. From the original soundtrack, The Runner, this is Boy Harsher, Give Me a Reason, on Trinity Radio.
You just heard Give Me a Reason by Boy Harsher. Give Me a Reason is from the original soundtrack of Boy Harsher's horror film, The Runner. If you enjoyed that sound and want a suspenseful horror to watch, you can stream The Runner on Shutter TV. Boy Harsher also released a song, Burn It Down, for the soundtrack Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends was a 2022 slasher film and the 13th installment in the ever-so-famous Halloween franchise with Michael Myers. Boy Harsher has also supported the legendary rocker and composer Danny Elfman on his recent career-spanning tour, and Danny Elfman did the Beetlejuice theme song, among many other horror classics like Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas, Mars Attacks, etc. To support Boy Harsher, check out their band camp by searching Boy Harsher, that's B-O-Y space H-A-R-S-H-E-R, where you can shop for merch, vinyl, and digital music. You can also follow them on Instagram at Boy Harsher. Trinity Radio. So far, we've explained how the mind and body help us process music. We've learned that music can influence heart rates, breathing rates, and body temperature. More specifically, music can trigger feelings of safety or danger and cause things like a faster heart rate, sweaty palms, and faster breathing. Music can also validate our emotional state and trigger our memories. And it isn't just music that elicits this response, but there is supporting research to show that sounds in general can trigger a response. Daniel Blumstein is a professor in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at UCLA. He studies social behavior and life history traits over time. One of Blumstein's studies was on the behavior of marmots, which are basically large ground squirrels who live in mountains and wooded areas. Yet marmots are pretty low on the food chain. So while studying marmots, Blumstein noticed that their distress calls were characterized by nonlinear noise patterns like this. So you just heard the sound of a marmot call. Blumstein also found that this nonlinear pattern is in other animals' alarm calls, but he also found it somewhere else, somewhere unexpected, like in the soundtracks of scary movies. After analyzing music from different genres, Blumstein discovered that scary movies often include high-pitched screams with a lot of noise. In this context, noise doesn't mean loud sounds per se. Instead, noise describes a disturbance in the sound, like radio noise. These noisy shrieks and screams that we hear in scary movies can have the same effect on us as animal distress calls. Over time, these sounds have been assigned to scary images, and by frequent exposure to these images paired with the sounds, we have been conditioned to find these sounds disturbing. So, holy crap, we've got a lot to unpack here, right? We've talked about music, tempo, the brain stuff, the body stuff, shrieks, memories, and all this stuff that makes us feel. It can get really complex. And we're like, whatever, Sierra, we just like to club or we just like to watch movies. And I hear you. Regardless of our own memories and fears, music and horror films just have a way of suspending us in a world outside of our minds and into what's happening on the screen. So let's step away from the microscope and the textbook and step more into the heart of music. With me, I have Aaron Graham, they, them. Aaron is a fifth year PhD student in music composition at UC San Diego. They enjoy conveying an ominous sense of humor in their music and are interested in weird oddities like broken machines and various forms of comic grotesque exaggeration. 
Aaron's creative idols and favorite artists include Boy Harsher, Light Asylum, Male Tears, and Flying Lotus, among many others. In their spare time, Aaron enjoys dancing at various goth events and collecting weird samples for future songs. They hold a bachelor's degree in percussion and composition, as well as a performer certificate from the Eastman School of Music and a master's degree in composition from Rice University. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Good. And I, I think you're just such a great guest to have, given your background in music composition, your extensive knowledge. It's really what I call mastery. Just oh. like, I mean, I can't. I can't think of who else would be a better expert for me to talk to because not only do you have extensive training and knowledge in this area, but you are very active in the goth scene, both as a supporter and a contributor to the overall reason about why it's like such a friendly and welcoming space. Because you're so immersed in that community, it makes you someone good to talk to about not just music composition in the classical sense and the theme songs we'll talk about, but also how it might relate to goth music, which I love, you love, the listeners love. So we'll play back some of these songs that we'll right. reference. But just to start and break it down, Erin, what are the building blocks of a song, specifically a song that doesn't have lyrics? Oh, certainly. I'm very flattered by this, by the way. A very kind introduction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to go into the building blocks of a song, I think it's first important to set the scene. Like, what are we talking about in the song? Like, what kind of scene is it going to convey? Is it going to be something that's like broody and sinister in a more like removed and distant ethereal kind of way? Or is it going to be something that's like danceable and immediate? And sort of like thinking about like what mode you're going to use to convey this. So in music, there's like certain modes and the two most common ones are major, which sounds more open and more happy and minor, which sounds more sad, more gloomy, um, more spooky, sort of more like ambiguous. And that has to do with like the size of notes in the scale. So scales in music are typically divided into 12 notes in like a collection that you would use for writing music. And then like a scale that you would use for major or minor, like a specific mode would be eight of these pitches. And so in um, major, the scales are separated into like more spaced out, like they're more, they're further apart. And in minor, they're closer together. There's a lot more half steps in minor versus whole steps in major. And that's basically what sounds, what makes it sound more spooky. So yeah, thank you for breaking it down. So that's the answer for something without lyrics. So without something so literal to to de describe the mood of the song or the content of the song. Um, so it, it's just, we're taking sounds and interpreting them in a certain way. So I wanted to talk about the nursery rhymes. Oh, of course. So nursery rhymes um, can be like lullabies or things we teach to school-age children like Twinkle Twinkle, Pat a Cake, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um, but there's a few that are pretty dark, lyrically yes. macabre. So like um, Ring Around the Rosy, which is about the bubonic plague <laughs> and people dying from the plague. And then Perfect. Rockabye Baby, um, which I think said is about a baby falling from a tree. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. That's that's pretty twisted. Yeah. There, there's some of the first songs we teach children. Um, right. And so I was wondering, like, what is it about their tune that makes right. it easy to catch on um, and maybe happy for children, despite that the lyrics are dark? 
For sure. Well, it's interesting because both um, Ring Around the Rosie and um, Rockabye Baby are both major. So they sound like happy. If you just listen to the tune, the melody and the rhythm, you would think that it was about, you know, going to the grocery store or like petting a cat or something like you would not you would never guess from the musical content that it's about like such creepy things as the plague or falling out of a tree. And so I don't know when I was a child and I learned these nursery rhymes, they were also like hand movements that went along with them. And so for me, it was more about sort of I would learn the melody first and I wouldn't really think about the words that I was singing and what they meant. And the songs are just so catchy. Like they're, I feel like they're a good learning tool because they're easy to catch on to. Like they're easy to learn. They're very repetitive and the rhythm is really catchy and easy to catch on to as well. Like it's like very repetitive rhythmic structures. Um, and so you just don't really think about like what these songs actually mean until you learn later in life. And it was like, wow, I was thinking about, you know, dying from the plague <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in preschool. So it's really interesting that way. The other thing too was like twinkle, twinkle, I didn't realize this till I was not a kid. Like I was much older, but Twinkle Twinkle and the alphabet song, A, B, C, D, like have the same melody, but different words. And I I think it sounds like what I'm hearing is you memorize the tune. Yeah. Maybe the words are secondary. Like we don't sing the alphabet song monotonously. Exactly. We, We sing it. That's such a good example because that was something I didn't realize until much later in life, probably also in my 20s, that the alphabet song and Twinkle Twinkle have the same melody because I thought of them just like as completely separate melodies, like doing different things, like different functions. So, yeah, that's a really, really great example. Coming back to theme songs and these songs that accompany scary movies or TV shows. In addition to being minor, and maybe not even always minor, but like, yeah. what is the basic recipe for a scary song or a creepy song? Oh, yeah. there's so I love talking about creepy songs, obviously. So there's so many different approaches you can take. I think it's about thinking about like the way that you want to convey creepiness. Is it like creepiness that you're sort of brooding in the fog, in the rain, standing at a distance and it's kind of like ethereal and atmospheric? Or is it like a jump scare with a lot of contrast? Is it something that's like a lot of contrast between like you hear something that's like very, very high and then without warning, a low, loud sound comes in? Um, is it something that's more like danceable? Is it creepy in a way that like we're celebrating? Like we were talking earlier about Beetlejuice's theme song and that's very celebratory to me that sort of really uh, aggressive but also mischievous march that you hear at the beginning of the Beetlejuice song there's something that's almost joyful about it but it's very macabre as you were mentioning earlier how the movie starts in a very like place of like normalcy it's like this couple and then suddenly they die in a car crash that changes everything like as you were mentioning earlier I thought it was really insightful that within the theme song for Beetlejuice there's like this um the introduction is very calm and peaceful and then suddenly it goes into this like very mischievous like hellish march so I think that reflects it very well as you were highlighting so I think that's a good example that you used to illustrate hellish that's yeah yes that's a good word (laughs) we love a hellish march (laughs) (laughs) So coming back to ethereal, though, I think the goth club, we don't usually, sometimes we don't usually have a screen or a projector to convey or to accompany the music, but we might have things like lights and fog, which can create an ethereal space. It's very moody. Always Um, the fog. (laughs) Yes, can happen in in movies too. I I believe the Exorcist cover, it shows a priest like looking up at a dark building, but there's just... That could be a goth club, honestly. Like, just like out of context, like (laughs) the similarities are striking. (laughs) Yes. I wanted to also ask, are there certain instruments, maybe trendy instruments to use in some of these pieces, some of these theme songs or as background noise in a horror movie? Yeah, totally. It's interesting that you mentioned The Exorcist because um, the theme song 
it has like a lot of like sort of like religious um, sounding sounds or like sort of like religious symbols. Like you hear like bells like doubling the piano theme. Like you hear these like church bell sounds. Then later like an organ comes in. And so that's really interesting that it's touching on like the religious undertones that are sort of prevalent throughout the course of the film. Like the priest like exorcising the person who's been possessed, etc. And like sort of like the connection to the church and like sort of the questions surrounding faith, which are like obviously very common. Uh, these biblical undertones that are like common in a lot of horror movies. And so it's interesting because like in a lot of goth music, you also hear like samples of church bells or samples of organ or samples organ, of thunderclap, yeah. etc. And like thunderclap, not so much, but organ and church bells like have these like very religious like connotations. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of like, I guess like the point of goth music, sometimes it's subverting religion or like calling these things into question. That's why we wear like upside down crosses mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think that's a really interesting connection. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I wanted to talk about something a little more modern, uh, yeah. like the X-Files. Yes. Which, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> It's, it's kind of relevant now yeah. and becoming a little more real nowadays. Yeah. I guess technically paranormal, but right. not not as much about superstition. But anyways, I, I want to talk about like the use of synth and stuff totally. to, to convey horror because it's not those traditional instruments like organ totally. or timpani and stuff. So what is it about that? Oh, it's the theremin. Like it's really funny because theremin both conveys like sort of like sci-fi. Like you hear it in like the Doctor Who theme song, for example. Mm-hmm. But then also it's used in the, I guess it's more of a whistle song, but well, whistle sound, but it's very similar to like a theremin in the X-Files, just like floating above everything. And I think that the theremin, it's unique because it's like associated with space themes or like galactic themes, etc. But it's also associated with horror mm-hmm. because of like the way you play it looks witchy. It looks creepy. Like you're like mm-hmm. making gestures, almost like goth dancing when you're playing the theremin. And you hear it in a lot of goth music as well. I think it's a really, really interesting instrument. And also the fact that the pitches, um, like for a piano, you have sort of distinct pitches. But for theremin, it's, it's bendy. It's almost like singing. You can like affect the intonation and like you can make it slightly out of tune, which gives like mm-hmm. this off quality to it. So. Mm-hmm. And vibrato, like a scream or a human voice. So yes, yes, it's neat you bring up the theremin because it tends to accompany um, music like Mars Attacks. Right. It has like an astral kind of celestial right. sound to it, like like in X Files. Um, right. Very neat. Space horror. Space horror. <laughs> I, that's one of my favorite kinds. Space oh, me too. Me, I love space horror. <laughs> Don't yeah. get me started. Space. So yeah, actually, yeah. the next episode after this one is going to be about space. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm very excited for this. That's the sneak peek. (laughs) Can't wait. We've talked about sustained melodies and tunes, but I wanted to talk about jump scares. um, Yes. And also maybe like the use of silence. Yes. And then loud crashes or booms. So like, what is it about jump scares, both in these movies and maybe even in more classical music that you compose? What is it that makes us feel like a kind of sense of urgency, I suppose? Right. Well, it was interesting because last night in preparation, I watched a bunch of jump scares, but I, well, I didn't watch them. I put on jump scares in the background. I listened Mm -hmm. only to the sounds just as a means of studying to see like how it was scary without sort of like the visual like Mm -hmm. stimulus. And so something that I noticed was very common was they often made um, use of like the ambient sounds of the space that the characters are in. So just like very subtle things like the rustling of a branch, like the creaking of the floor or just like this, just like to convey a feeling that something is not right. Like these are sounds that if you heard in 
in real life would be completely ordinary and you would just kind of like overlook. But just something about their juxtaposition, sometimes with silence, um, which is very, very effective, just makes it feel like there's something off. And it starts with this. And then suddenly I feel like a lot of like the recipe that I'm sort of overgeneralizing, but you hear like this very high like string note that comes in. And that's when you know that something is wrong. It can be like a single note that like floats above the texture. And then it's about like the unpredictability. Like, you know, at that point that a crash or like a jump scare is coming, but you don't know when. And so when it finally does, it's like about the contrast and the unpredictability. Like sometimes there'll be something that crashes through the texture, like a very low, like tuba stab or like an ambient, like choir sound or like something that's like very sudden that comes out that's like completely unnatural. And like, then you know that stuff is happening is then you see like the ghost that's hiding under the bed. Yeah. So <laughs> like it's disruptive to something yes. ordinary, kind of like in Jaws. Like yes. you don't, you know, unless you have some kind of fear of water. Um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so Jaws is, um, it, I think it takes place in like a, a summery, sunny setting, yeah. which is like associated with joy and relaxation, right. being carefree. But then you right. have this shark that indicates doom and just danger, death. Um, and I maybe want to talk about that as well. Um, totally. Like the use of tempo and how it can make us feel unsettled. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I th what's interesting about the Jaws theme is that like a lot of jump scares that I've noticed or a lot of like horror movie music that I've noticed starts from the high register and moves low, but Jaws starts from the low register and moves high. So it's like almost like the shark like coming out of the depths of the ocean to like, you know, murder someone. So that's really interesting about the Jaws theme. It's one of the more sort of like themes that sounds a lot closer to classical music so yeah yeah you, you mentioned something interesting how it's like the the shark getting closer like rising yeah. from the depths really that's really neat right we, uh, we were talking about jump scares and how you were just listening to them but right you weren't watching anything to go with them so right. for me when i watch a scary movie and it gets silent i know something's about to happen something yes. scary and uh, a lot of people they might close their eyes because they don't want to see something pop out or something right. grotesque um, but for me I actually watch more closely but I cover my ears like I take like my pointer fingers and I like just I hold them against so my ears because that's the thing that's going to scare me that's so interesting because like it's it's because like it's sort of like auditory based fear like it's the sound that makes these scenes so scary not exactly like what's on the screen and I never thought to do that because I noticed I mean I get really terrified when I watch horror movies like by the jump scares and I'm always the person that looks away from the screen but listens to the sound mm -hmm. but I'm I'm now really interested to try what you do blocking my ears and watching because I think that we underestimate how much sound contributes to these feelings of fear so that's so interesting that you brought this up oh thank you um and so I wanted to talk about also um the similarities between these creepy theme songs and right. background music and like goth and dark wave yeah. music are are there any commonalities or maybe even differences that you notice um, between the two? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, obviously a lot of the music that we hear in the clubs is like meant for dancing. But I think that something that you brought up earlier in our conversation that is really interesting is like the use of silence. Like you were talking about how silence is strategically used to like set up a drop and that makes the drop in a club like feel a lot more intense because it's that anticipation. I think that silence is also used in jump scares to like build like the sense of anticipation. Like, you know that something is coming and you're, like, you have that expectation, but you don't know exactly when. And so just like building the tension with complete silence or making you almost like want this moment to happen. I think it's something that he, that's used both in goth music that you hear in clubs and also in horror films. So that's one really interesting mm -hmm. um, comparison. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to talk about Boy Harsher because they've been making a lot of score stuff lately. Yeah, so that's they, right. They make really danceable music, really beautiful, emotive music. Right. And they had their movie called The Runner. Yes, right. I don't even know what you would call Boy Harsher. Would you call that? I don't know. I feel like they're dark wave adjacent, but not not exactly. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to categorize actually. Like Yeah, that like four on the floor with like yeah. the claps on like the two and the four, the snare. Exactly. Uh, just like sort of dark wavy. But yeah, Muller makes just like super atmospheric stuff. Yeah. Augustus Muller has a background is like writing more classical music. It's like that crossover t- between classical and like more like sort of like danceable music, which makes it so compelling, I think. So. And Jay also um, in a lot of their songs has this kind of like scream that yes. they might do right before like a silent or an instrumental breakdown. That's right. That's right. I think the famous one is in is in Fate. Um, she screams in yeah. your arms like kind of unexpectedly. And so. That's like another good use of like silence that happens before or not silence exactly, but like something that you're not expecting to happen, much like a jump scare. You know, no one's expecting Jay to scream, but which is amazing. So, Mm, yeah, it's a little unsettling. But then you hear like the hypnotic Muller's after that, which brings you back to more. I guess the rhythms are predictable, not not as a criticism, just as a descriptor. Yeah, no, totally. Exactly. It's like this sort of like predictable, like sort of gently evolving background. But then like Jay introduces like the elements of chaos and the anomalies within the music, which makes it compelling because you're not expecting these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in addition to Boy Harsher, which artists, composers, producers, or, or bands, in your opinion, yeah. are m- most associated with horror and ominousness? That's a really good question because I remember um, in a separate conversation, we were talking about Skin and Marink and Male Tears actually wrote a song about Skin and Marink called In This House. So I think that from what I understand, they were so traumatized by watching the film that they had to write a song about it. Mm. Uh, so the song itself isn't particularly scary, but it's more of like a reaction song to a horror movie. And it's interesting to hear the way that they filter their reaction to watching that film, because in the film Skinnamarink, the phrase in this house is kind of repeated over and over. I haven't seen the film because I will admit that I'm too scared to watch it, but um, I've heard that it's the only audio is the, is the sound of a voice saying in this house that's now the title of the track. And so and within the track of Bell Tears, like in the lyrics, they describe what happens in the film Skinnamarink, possibly with spoilers. So I think that's interesting, like a horror film reaction track. I'll have to listen to that because <laughs> yeah. um, I, I haven't even heard of that movie. So, you know, maybe I'll play the song before watching it and yeah. then I can go back and, and watch it so that I don't have any context. Um, I should do that too. I should also watch the film. Like I've heard the song, but I'm too scared to watch the film. So, so we can just commit to watching it. <laughs> it's male tears in this house. In this house. Yes. Okay. Cool. Okay. Thank you. So that, that'll be my follow-up task. And Mine as well. As a way to follow up with you, how can listeners learn more about either this topic of music theory or your work or your field? Oh, for sure. That's a great question. So I think the best way to learn about music theory, honestly, is to learn an instrument. And that doesn't mean to like learn it to the level of expertise. Learn it to like if there's an instrument that you've always wanted to play. It's never too late. And I think that's a much more like hands-on and interesting way to learn music theory than just going and like looking at websites and like reading about it on various like sources mm-hmm. or going to JSTOR and looking up articles. It's much more fun to learn about music theory as it's relevant to what you're playing or what you're listening to. Or like if there's a band that you really like, like if you really like dark um, dark alleys like light asylum etc like what makes that so scary like oh it's that minor chord like just thinking about like what makes I, using like the music that you like or the music that you want to play or like an instrument that you've always wanted to learn is like the first like 
entry point because that just makes them feel more immediate and like less like academic and less like rigorous and less like strict because often there's like this punitive aspect to studying music theory like you're doing it wrong you're bad like you can't hear these intervals so you can't be a musician and I think that's something that I would really like to change about the field because it's so interesting but you know like just like less gatekeepy I, I think is what I'm trying to say so yeah, yeah. So, so to just do it with yourself and yeah especially if, if you're alone and not part of an ensemble maybe you can do it without feeling pressured exactly exactly like on your own terms rather than having it like sort of prescribed to you so. yes yeah thank you so much Aaron for sharing all your insight and knowledge with us so to and to follow up with you do you have maybe a website or yeah I do have a website for sure yeah Instagram is fine it's um yeah, E-R-N dot G-R-R-M. I think three R's. <laughs> Weird to say over a podcast, but Earn my Instagram, Earn Germ, <laughs> is the Instagram. And my website is linked there. So I appreciate this. It's been so much fun. Oh, thank, thank you for being here and for giving us your time. Thank you so. for your time as well. This has been amazing. Trinity Radio. All right, Glamour Ghouls. This concludes Episode 9, The Sound of Fear. To catch up, please connect with me on Instagram at trinity.xm. If you like this episode, please give me a like or a five-star review. That'll help other dark music fans find us in the search. Once again, I am DJ Tesherine, and you're listening to Trinity Radio. Catch you soon for another Halloween special, episode 10, something about aliens.